Thaddeus Young has it. Down the left side of the lane, and he tossed it in as he was falling to the floor with nine-tenths of a second to play. He took it up top and drove down the left side as he was knocked off balance and scored the go-ahead field goal. Hello and welcome back to another Sideline Guys podcast. I'm Pat Boylan, the Pacers radio host and sideline reporter. Joining us is, as always, Jeremiah Johnson, the Pacers TV host and sideline reporter. It's another show from the road. I'm uh, in Banker's Life Fieldhouse in downtown Indianapolis. Jeremiah Johnson, of course, with the team. He's out in D.C. right now. The Pacers taking on the Wizards. We are taping this as of Wednesday morning, so we will be discussing the game that for us is happening tonight, but we understand uh, that you may be listening after this game has played as well, so we'll try to have a more general show that looks forward to some things uh, that we might expect to see from the Pacers here going forward. As I mentioned, JJ, uh, you are out in D.C. For those who don't know, you left uh, on Christmas a late afternoon, early evening, right? That's correct. A later flight on Christmas Day for the day after Christmas game against the Bulls. Normally an afternoon flight for a game that would be the following day, but Nate McMillan gave the team a little extra time to be with friends and family, or family I should say, for the holidays. And then it's a short trip to Chicago, so it worked out well to have that game, even though you have to travel on Christmas, which I know is not ideal There were 11 games in the association on December 26th, so not surprising the Pacers had to play. They were actually one of the lucky two teams that did not have to play on December 23rd, and they, of course, did not have a Christmas game. So because Christmas falls on the weekend, teams enjoy the weekend games. So you can't have too much time off over the holidays, and the Pacers got as much as they really could have asked for. Yeah, I know. uh, For you, you still did travel on on Christmas night, as you said, but... You've, you've got young kids. You had the 23rd, 24th, and, and uh, the morning of the 25th off. That had to be nice. Yeah, uh, three or four years ago, my first season traveling with the team, I think the Pacers played on the 23rd, and they had only one game, or maybe it was the 22nd, and they only had one game between then and New Year's Eve. And so that was about as much of a break as I'd ever had since uh, graduating from college. And, and then last season, the last two seasons, the Pacers were at Detroit the day after Christmas, and then at Minnesota the day after Christmas. So those were not long flights, but the kids were a little bit used to uh, me leaving Christmas night. But you always have Christmas Eve off as well. No games in the NBA on that day. And full disclosure, I actually uh, didn't travel with the team on Christmas night because the game was in Chicago. And I didn't want to say this prior to Christmas in case my son would have listened to the podcast. But one of his presents late afternoon Christmas day was uh, he opened a Bulls t-shirt and a Pacers t-shirt. Now the Bulls t-shirt was just a prop so he could have something to identify with. But I said, uh, you're going to get to go to a game in Chicago. And he, he opened it and he said, tomorrow? And so I actually drove up and uh, went with my wife and son to Chicago and was able to get some work done on the on the road a little bit on Christmas night. And so then they drove home from Chicago and then I traveled with the team. So I still need a ride back from the airport uh, after this game against the Wizards if anyone wants to pick me up. Uh, but that was nice to have that option for the day after Christmas game. Jeremiah, I know the last time that you were on the road, we discussed how Nate McMillan does things a little bit different than Frank Vogel. Vogel would typically want to fly out the night after a game and head back to that new that next location. In this case, it's uh, from Chicago to D.C. McMillan, though, uh, Coach Nate McMillan is, is more about rest, trying to stay in that specific city you're in. So did you guys stay in Chicago that night and then move to D.C. the next morning? 
We did stay in Chicago, and by and large, if you look at this entire schedule, if the team is scheduled to uh, fly home for a game following a game on the road, then we would fly after the game. But it looks like most of the time when the team is playing another road game, they're staying in the city as opposed to flying and arriving somewhere at 2 or 3 in the morning. And it's all about uh, sleep patterns, sports science, and getting as much uninterrupted sleep as possible. So for this particular road trip, the Pacers practiced in Washington, D.C. I left Chicago in the morning on the 27th, practiced in Washington, D.C. at the Verizon Center at the Wizards practice facility on Tuesday. And then I look forward to trying to get back on track against the Wizards on Wednesday night. Yeah, the Pacers had gone 31 games without a three-game winning streak, without a three-game losing streak. That's the second longest stretch a team has ever started a season without either winning three straight or losing three straight. Unfortunately, that streak has come to an end on the negative side. I don't know if it's tough to lump those games together because there was such a break uh, playing Thursday and then not again till Monday. Are there themes you saw uh, and, and, and what were you seeing out there from Chicago actually being there? You thought going into the game the schedule set up for the Pacers because, as you referenced, there was a break and the Pacers were rested and Chicago had played Friday night and then they played a Christmas game at San Antonio. The Pacers contest was the second half of Chicago's back-to-back. But sometimes if a team is tired, you don't want them angry. And Chicago was playing a little bit desperate. They had lost three consecutive games. Vultures were circling around the United Center, as so often happens in Chicago. They have a lot of media that cover the team, and they're often outspoken. And and Chicago had been struggling since starting the year, really as one of the most talked-about teams in the NBA. I believe they had lost uh, five of their previous 15 games prior to taking on the Pacers. They were 5-10 and in those last 15, and were really struggling. And so that was a game that when you have somebody like Dwayne Wade and some of the veterans, Jimmy Butler, that they have on the team – They're going to do whatever it takes to get a win, and the Pacers just had to try to match that, and you'd like to think the Pacers were rested and also angry because they had lost two straight, Uh, but maybe the Pacers had not hit that sort of feeling of rock-bottom desperation because they've always bounced back from losses with wins so often, and they had not had those three straight losses all season, and really it just came down to a couple plays in the end. Now, the Pacers were trying to battle uphill the entire game and and Chicago built that early lead and to the Pacers credit they came back it was a really uneven game through three quarters 63-61 Chicago at the end of three the Pacers held the Bulls to just 12 third quarter points so you thought they'd figured some things out defensively but then both teams really caught fire a little bit in the fourth quarter but if there's one common theme from the last three games uh, we haven't really seen Paul George step up to that level to carry the team to victory. That he had, he had some pretty good fourth quarters and closing stretches in some of the games the Pacers had won through the first, you know, 25, 28 games. The last couple, the last few, Paul has not hit 20 points, and you know he he was passing great against the Bulls, had a season high for assists, uh, but just isn't really shooting the ball with the same percentage that he had been previously, and and just the Pacers needed him to kind of lift them to that victory to make a couple of those key plays. He hit that three-pointer to get the Pacers back to within one, I believe, but then just could not make the, the final shot, and then uh, an unfortunate turnover after Thaddeus Young got the rebound. So, as, so as, as we see so many times when the Pacers play the Bulls, it went down to the final 
couple of possessions, and it's difficult to win inside the United Center, and Chicago gets the win, so the Pacers have now lost three straight, and they really face what I think is an important week coming up, because you've got the Wizards, who are basically tied with the Pacers in the Eastern Conference, maybe a half game back, and then you've got Chicago, and then you've got Orlando, and you're in the middle of a stretch of nine straight games against teams that you're basically fighting for, realistically, those spots four through eight in the Eastern Conference. I think Boston is starting to separate themselves just a little bit as being the third best team, maybe even the second best if they can have prolonged stretches of health. So you're looking at the other maybe 10 teams fighting for four spots in the Eastern Conference, nine teams probably. And so you've got to win some of these games. If you could get this win against Washington, you'd be 2-0 and against them in the season series. And you've got to get a split in the season series against Chicago later this week. When I uh, think of Washington, I, I always think of that, that uh, what, was, what was Paul's quote, the, the East Coast Splash Brothers or whatever <laughs> game from uh, from this time last year. So hopefully the, something about that arena maybe brings back the three-point shooting because I think the three-point shooting, uh, it's been a struggle over these last three games as well. Maybe that's a theme. And I don't have the exact number in front of me, but it's, it's really impressive the difference in the Pacers' record when they shoot 30% or better uh, versus under 30%. They are something like 14 and 6 when shooting 30% or better, and like 1 and 11 when shooting under 30%. That's certainly, I think, been a number that. Uh, has has made a difference for Indiana this season. I think that three point shooting has made the difference. The Pacers are four and twelve on the road. They're eleven and five at home. That disparity uh, is gigantic. Y- you mentioned uh, how Chicago kind of felt some desperation. This certainly doesn't feel by any means like the Pacers are at a rock bottom moment or anything close to that. In fact, I think as you pointed out uh, via text last night, Indiana could move as high as six or as low as twelve. Uh, with a win or a loss, and depending on what else happens around the NBA, so they're still they're still at a point where they're fine. Um, but do you notice or feel like there may be a little bit more of a sense of urgency now? We're through uh, 32 games. We've got a, a big chunk of the season underway, and uh, Indiana at its first three game losing streak of the season. Yeah, I watched all of the practice in uh, the Verizon Center on Tuesday, and I thought it was a very intense session. I did not sense the guys, you know, heads were down, as you might expect after having lost three straight and losing a close, disappointing game to the Bulls. Uh, Spirits were were pretty high. I thought, though, that it was a pretty intense practice, and, and before practice even started, Nate McMillan gathered the guys, and he said, let's get a good practice to get the bad taste out of our mouths, and let's go hard today. And then he decided to give them the morning off on Wednesday, no shoot-around. And he's bounced back and forth with this at different times. And I think around the league, it's something we're seeing where some teams do not have shoot-arounds on game days, even if it's not the second half of the back-to-back to let their guys have a little more rest. More often than not, that is at home because you don't want the guys to go from home, have to go down to the field house, then go back home after that or wherever the particular arenas are. Most of the time on the road, Teams like to get their guys up and get a little bit of the blood flowing a little bit on the road. Uh, the Pacers decided it worked on Detroit. The last time the Pacers had a, a good road win, it was a situation where the weather was bad in Detroit, and it's a long distance from the hotel to the Palace at Auburn Hills. And so because of what would be a long bus ride and potential for bad weather and slippery roads, they decided to just have 
uh, workout or not a workout, but a meeting at the hotel that morning and got guys a little bit extra rest. And it did pay off because that was one of the most impressive road wins of the season. So if this should work and the Pacers get that good practice in the day before and then maybe the shoot around doesn't tire them out. Um, it's just little things. And we referenced the sports science and some things that you're trying to see what can make a guy perform better during difficult stretches of the schedule. So I thought, back to your original question, I thought it was a pretty good practice, but I think they're still trying to figure some things out. And I think fans are tired of hearing that it takes time. Uh, but I think the time is now. I don't I don't know that you can continue to say this too much longer, that it takes time for them to figure each other out. I think they sh- should have a pretty good idea of who they are and what they are. And what they need to do is make what they are just a little bit better. And sometimes the difference between winning and losing can be a couple of possessions. And there were a couple of possessions in that Bulls game that just were not the kind of intense effort, the scrappiness that Nate Millen likes to see, likes to talk about. You didn't see that at times. And that ended up costing them because if you have a couple of those possessions back, you can beat the Bulls and you feel so much differently about yourself if you're currently 16 and 16 compared to 15 and 17. I've quoted it a couple of times, but you go back to Stephanie White's comments at the beginning of the season when the Pacers were struggling a little bit out of the gates, and she said, you know, look, it, this team reminded her a lot of her fever team that she had. She said it might not be till late December or early January till you get a good look at this team, and I remember at the time when she said that kind of going wow, you know, we're into early November right now. Late December feels like, you know, another moon away. But now we are there. And at least so far, I think that's somewhat been true. Now we'll see, you know, I I think you're right. I think now you're 32 games through at some point. Um, that light switch does have to flip, and you can't dig yourself into a hole. Unfortunately for the Pacers, a lot of teams are doing what Indiana's doing, trying to figure themselves out, I think. You look how close that East, the Eastern Conference standings are, and the Pacers, you know, are, I think are in a big group of teams who are just kind of figuring themselves in night in, night out, a little bit con- inconsistent at times, not putting together those big runs in either direction. They're still obviously in the thick of things, and What's kind of been tough about this to me is certainly the Pacers feel like they have a better team than their record shows. You go individually, player by player. You mentioned, you know, Paul George the last couple of games, and at times this season maybe maybe hasn't carried them like he would hope to. But there's been a lot of wins this year at home, especially where Paul George has done that in the fourth quarter. And you know, he's at 21 and seven. I think you know his ceiling numbers are a little bit higher than that, but he's by no means been poor. I think Jeff Teague, while he hasn't shot the three ball well, otherwise you say 16 and seven for him. You're happy with those. Miles Turner, I think you're overall pleased uh, with his second season. Thad Young has been a nice piece. C.J. Miles has been hurt at times, uh, but he's provided that spark and that three-point shooting off the bench. You know, Ellis and Stuckey have been hurt, which has been tough. Jefferson uh, started out the year slowly, but has gotten better as the year has moved on. You know, Glenn Robinson III has been pretty good. We saw what Aaron Brooks did uh, in Chicago, I guess what I'm saying is I'm going down the line here and I'm not really finding a, a player, you know, outside of injury problems that I think, you know, wow, he's really not pulling his weight. Yet the Pacers at 15 and 17, they, they seem and they will probably tell you to be underachieving just a touch. Yeah, you're correct in your assessment of the individual performances. But I guess I think back to some of the postgame shows after big Pacers wins. And I feel like those are shows where I look down at the stat sheet and I see five, six, a couple times even seven and double figures. And so if no one is playing all-star level, and I think Paul George would be the all-star of this team, but 
he has not played as well to start this season, maybe his last season. You know, he was injured as well, and he had to take some time to get back acclimated, and he's had some really, really impressive games. But uh, if no one is playing at the elite level, then you need everyone to play well in order to win. And I think each game they're having a couple of guys that maybe have off nights, and that brings them down a little bit. And I think the bench has struggled outside of a couple of guys. I mean, you referenced Al Jefferson. I think the last couple of weeks he's played very well, especially considering the the limited minutes maybe that he's been on the floor. And I think you have to, you can't exactly extend Al's minutes and think you're going to get better play. I think he's right around a 15 to 20 minute per game player right now. And if you keep him at that, he's going to be effective in that role. Rodney Stuckey was the other you know, Rodney Stuckey and C.J. Miles are the other guys you expect from your bench scoring. But C.J. started the year hot from outside the three-point arc. There was at one point in the season he was the leading three-point shooter in the NBA with the minimum number of attempts. Over the last six games, he's 8 for 28, 29%. You'd like to see him catch fire like he did last year here at the Verizon Center in that East Coast Splash Brothers game. But even just be a little more consistent from outside the three-point arc. And when Rodney Stuckey was injured and Monte Ellis was injured, you basically just had bench scoring coming from Al Jefferson and C.J. Miles. And if C.J. wasn't on, then you really were looking for some spark in that second unit. The Pacers got that from Aaron Brooks with 19 points against the Bulls. And if he can be a 12 to 15 point scorer on any given night, that really helps the second unit. One thing that we did see in practice and going into the Wizards game, Monte Ellis is surprisingly listed as questionable. In the last time the Pacers were home against Boston, Nate McMillan had said that it'll be a couple more weeks before he's reevaluated. Well, Monte does not like to miss games. Prior to Uh, This season, I don't know if he missed a game due to injury over four seasons. Last year, he missed one game, and that was to rest in the season finale against the Bucs. So Monte does not like sitting. He does have uh, quite a few miles on those legs, but he wanted to get back out there. And now it becomes interesting to determine where does Nate McMillan use him. Initially, maybe it's off the bench, but then he'll have to see because Glenn Robinson III has not played as well starting at the two spot as he did when he started in place of Paul George. But I think regardless, for those that were down on Monte Ellis, I think you miss the scoring threat that he provides, the veteran leadership that he provides, and the quicker he can get back out there, especially given the fact that Rodney Stuckey was injured once again against the Bulls. The Pacers need Monte Ellis in some form or fashion on the floor, and we could see him as early as Wednesday night against the Wizards. Yeah, you mentioned Monte. You go back to the 2012-2013 season in Milwaukee. He played a full 82. The next year in Dallas, a full 82. The following year, 14-15, he played 80 games in Dallas. And then last year, as you mentioned, the 81. And the one he missed was due to rest. So that's certainly abnormal for Monte Ellis. And you kind of took me into my my next point. Monte and Stuckey, I think, are two of the tough guys on this team two of the tougher guys in the league and I think um, you know Monte's durability shows that we see Rodney uh, in these last few years he'll go down with an injury and you'll think "Uh uh-oh that looked bad and then he's trying to force his way back onto the court and, and of course you know this but you just you watch practice he's always uh, talking about Stucky here he's always the last guy uh, off of practice he's always the last guy out there shooting and he's he pushes so hard to come back from these injuries because he hates missing time. And I'll tell you, in, in, in terms of my three years being here, seeing a guy get hurt, I'm not sure if I've felt as bad for anyone. And, and I don't. If you have an I, uh, our update as of um, 
Tuesday afternoon as Stucky is out and Ellis is questionable. Um, but but man, that that I really felt for him when I saw him get just six minutes into that Chicago game. You see him go out with what appears like a similar injury, and in these hamstrings, he talked about it. Not really something that had bothered him much in his career, but they've really been a problem this year. Yeah, and that play was kind of a critical point in the game. The Pacers were within, I think, uh, seven, and they got a steal, and it was a fast break opportunity. And all of a sudden, I saw him pull up, and I, I thought he was worried about the defense and maybe getting his shot blocked, and then you realize that he felt something in his hamstring, missed the layup, and then the next dead ball uh, left and immediately walked straight through the tunnel, through his mouth guard, and you could sense the frustration. What was interesting is I talked with Rodney you know, off camera just to get an update on how he was feeling in the locker room prior to the game, and you know, you could just sense how excited he was to get back out there, and we actually had a conversation about the Pacers training staff, because in situations like this, Nate McMillan is often asked about the injury updates, but a lot of the decision-making comes from trainer Josh Corbeil, assistant trainer Carl Eaton. They do such a great job working with these guys, and you know we don't need to go into every team's uh, plans and how they handle injuries, but I will tell you that it is commonly believed around the NBA the Pacers have one of the, if not the best, training staff in the NBA, and the, pa- the players that go to other teams, come back, and they tell these guys how much they miss them, how much they appreciate them, because they don't get quite the same care with some of the other teams as they had when they were with the Pacers. And so in this situation, Rodney said, I you know, I have total faith and trust in Josh and Carl, and they're the best I've ever been around, and he appreciates every day there's a plan for the guys that are injured, and this is what you're going to do on this day, and this is how you're going to try to get back. And Rodney's one of those guys that probably – comes back about a game or two earlier than even Josh or Carl would like, but those guys have the players' best interests in mind. And so while they could say, you know, Rodney, we need to keep you out another game, they're not going to put them out there if they don't think that they're ready. Now, sometimes in these situations, I mean, you could argue Rodney's out there and he gets hurt again and and, and now he might be out longer. And he did not go through any practice on Tuesday, and I have no idea when at this point Rodney would come back from the latest hamstring strain. But I, the, the point would be that with Monte Ellis, with Rodney Stuckey, they are tough. They are going to always probably come back earlier than the initial timetable suggests. There are other guys that if you hear two to three weeks or seven to ten games, that you expect four weeks or 15 games. And you always probably think to yourself, if it's Rodney or Monte, those are guys that are going to come back earlier. And a lot of credit goes to the Pacers training staff. Just unfortunate, though, to see Rodney go down again. And even when he was injured, he told me, he's like, I don't know what's going on with these hamstrings. I've never had these issues before. I get plenty of sleep. I do the right thing. I put the right foods into my body. Um, Rodney's just a little bit dumbfounded. And then I saw him in the hotel after the game against Chicago. And it was almost like I felt like for a kid that had suffered an injury and had a, a cast on, I just like, oh, I'm sorry, man. And he was pretty positive. He said, I'll be all right, man. I'll be all right. Don't don't worry about me. And so we can expect to see Rodney back, but the Pacers do miss him, and they will miss him while he's out. You and I talked about this on Pacers Weekly over the weekend, but these are two guys that play a similar uh, style of game. They're good in transition. They attack the basket relentlessly. And Ellis has had this, you know, groin issue kind of prolonged, stucky with his hamstring. You really miss those two guys, I think, especially it compounds 
uh, on each other when they're both out at the same time. When you have at least one of them, you can have that style of player in there, but the Pacers don't really have a third guy that is like an Ellis, that is like a Stuckey, and I think really welcome news here, as you brought up a moment ago, it was, the I think, the home game against Boston on Thursday when McMillan said he thought it would be a couple more weeks, and it sounds like there's been good news since then, because as you mentioned, uh, listed questionable with the sore right groin here tonight. You really miss those guys individually, but when they're both out at the same time, I think the issue kind of compounds uh, on itself. Yeah, it's those are two guys that you need to have at least one of them on the floor, I think, and that's where you've struggled a little bit in that second unit. So with Monte Ellis, I think that you'll see him sooner rather than later, and it'll just be how does he get back into basketball shape, and then what role does he play? We have not seen him off the bench very often, and if he does come off the bench, I think that could be a great role for him um, because that second unit needs some scoring spark, and sometimes I think Monte gets lost and takes a little bit of a back seat with the starters on the floor, so I think that's something definitely to watch for, uh, but we have to also kind of continue to keep our eyes on Glenn Robinson III because when he plays well, it seems like this team plays well, and while in the starting lineup, I don't think he's quite played offensively the way that we w- that the Pacers would have liked and fans would have liked. That wasn't the objective. That wasn't his top priority when in the starting lineup. It was defense and rebounding, and you saw some games where he didn't score too much, but he got you know made some big contributions defensively and rebounding in the starting lineup. But I think that the rotations are still in flux, and and we saw in that Chicago game, Nate McMillan will go with a hot hand. I don't think Jeff Teague had. had a bad game through three quarters. If I look at the stats through three quarters, I guess he did have just six points. So it wasn't a high-scoring game, but he had five assists through three quarters. But Aaron Brooks was the hot hand in the fourth quarter, and he stayed in virtually the entire fourth quarter. Nate will go with the hot hand. If Monte Ellis comes back and he's a hot hand, he will get plenty of minutes. What you just have to basically understand is the Pacers need a co- at least one of those guys, Monte or Rodney, back uh, to help their, their rotations. Yeah, I was getting a handful of people on Twitter that were tweeting at me, you know, how is Aaron Brooks in the game late? Why isn't Jeff Teague? Like, I guess you could make the case that those two could play together late in the game, but Aaron Brooks was the Pacers' best player. I think he, in that game, uh, I think he certainly deserved those minutes at the end. And yeah, you know, he had the pass that was intercepted by Wade that kind of sealed it. But the Pacers were in that position. Uh, I'm curious on your thoughts. I I thought it was totally the right move to have Aaron Brooks in there. Maybe you could try a a two-guard lineup with both of those two guys out there, but they don't play together hardly at all. I personally had no issues uh, with in that situation. Aaron Brooks was 6 of 8 from the floor. He'd been drilling threes. He was keeping the Pacers in the game. And and I was plenty fine with playing the hot hand, even though that situation normally merits Jeff Teague. I would agree with you. The only thing that I could say in the fourth quarter is maybe there were a couple times where either a timeout could have been called or I think early in the fourth quarter that that group that kind of got the Pacers back into the game in the third quarter looked to me like they were running out of gas a little bit in the fourth. And so at that point, you could have run Jeff Teague out there, given him a couple minutes and maybe just given Aaron Brooks a little bit of a break. But then you risk putting him on the bench and having him get tired. But, you know, he finished with 24 minutes in the game, and that's something that you know, probably about six to eight more than he's expecting to play or had been playing up to that point. He played uh, 12 minutes through three quarters, so you're right. He played the entire fourth quarter. I don't have a problem with keeping him in. I don't know that there were stretches there in the fourth quarter um, that it felt like they needed a little bit of a spark even though he was on the floor playing well. I think that group was a group that probably had not played together that much and, and struggled a little bit. 
a lot of times I'll get the same as you, tweets or texts from people that are frustrated after games, and, and people say, well, they're not playing hard enough, they're not trying hard enough. And I guess I question, or I would take issue to that a little bit, I just don't think that they have consistent enough stretches because there were so many times and I keep a log of every game and I basically write down every basket on my log sheet and sometimes I use it and sometimes it just helps keep me into everything that's happening. But it just seemed like there were so many 9-0 runs, 10-0 runs, 8-2 runs and every time the Bulls made their run to get a 10-point lead, the Pacers battled back. And if this is a team that did not you know, put forth a great effort or was not really into the game, they would not be able to do that against the Bulls, they were just not able to get over the hump and actually take the lead. So I thought the fight was there. I just think that there were moments of lapses. And that's where I don't know if timeouts can help, you know, stop, stem the tide a little bit when it's a 6-0 run, keeps it from going to be a 10-0 run. Uh, Because timeouts are crazy in the NBA. It's so often that we see a timeout basically stops the momentum. And, And so I thought that both teams were able to go on runs, then the other team would answer, But the Pacers, because of that early deficit when they were down 16, they were the ones always fighting from behind. And I I think that that's important for this game against the Wizards and then when the Bulls come to the Bankers Life Fieldhouse on Friday to try to get that lead and make it to where the other team is the one that's always fighting from behind and see if you can be the one that can get that lead up to 10 and then maybe even to 15. Because we've seen the Pacers be in that situation 10, 15, that's not an insurmountable lead for any team in the NBA. But the team that has to try to fight back and get all the way back then sometimes can't push push the lead um, themselves. So uh, I don't know if everything I'm saying makes total sense, but I think the guys are fighting. They want to win. They're just having some lapses that are costing them in these games. Yeah, I want to get to our pick three in a second, but you sparked a thought uh, for me and with that effort thing. You know, I've got a theory on the effort comments, which is that, and, and, and I include myself in here, fans and, and you know, most media members alike that aren't named Quinn Buckner or haven't played the game for long stretches and know the game really well, we don't see the game at Quinn Buckner, at Slick Leonard's level, even guys like Mark Boyle, Chris Denary, the longtime broadcasters, and Chris played college basketball. You know, there's a there's a very uh, fine level that those NBA players are playing on, and I truly believe at some point it takes someone who you know has played and coached the game at that level to be able to see it at that level or has been through it. And, uh, and so I think when, when fans are frustrated, when team isn't playing well, I bet if you looked at every Twitter feed for uh, the teams that aren't playing well in the league, the fans are complaining about effort. The, the effort's not a problem. It's just it's tough to figure out at times why a team is struggling, and I think that's an easy crutch to fall on, but I don't think it's a fair crutch to fall on because these guys are athletes. They're, of course, paid a lot of money, but they're paid to do a job. And I think to say they're not giving effort would – be to suggest that they aren't living up uh, to what they're paid to do, and, and while they're of course paid to win, um, you know it's not so like so in, are the in opponents. our industry, <laughs> right? In, in in our industry, you know, you can have a good broadcast, and so can the DC guys. You know, uh, it's not one or the other. Um, so I, I think that's just a crutch that a lot of people fall on, and um, and, and I think it, it's wrong. I think it's, it's an execution thing. It's an X's and O's thing, and I think sometimes it's at such a high level, you know, the difference between winning and losing can be so small that, you know, there's only a handful of people that are around that can 
see it, and it's why the Quinn Buckners and the Slick Leonards are are there to broadcast the games uh, to help break that down. Let's let's uh, transition here though to our pick three, um, which is where. You know, we come up with a topic, and, and we are more than welcome to hear yours and answer your pick three questions. Uh, but, you know, we've looked at surprise teams around the NBA. We've, we've done a lot of different areas with this. With it being around holiday time, and yes, we know Christmas has passed, but uh, maybe you're returning gifts, maybe you're a little late uh, on giving a gift, whatever. The Home Court Gift Shop is a fantastic place to do shopping. I did it myself for uh, every immediate family member I had, at least got them one thing from the home court gift shop, and I'm proud to say there are no returns. Uh, nice. They all fit, much. proper sizes and everything? Yes, all fit. Which, which, like, I am a guy, and I have two brothers, and that's it. I don't have any sisters. So, so like, doing women's sizes to me, it's like a foreign language. I don't I don't even know what I'm looking at. So I just uh, took a guess, held it up. Ah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see if that With works. With the women, and when in doubt, get it too small. And then uh, if they have to get it bigger, that's how, that's on them. That's just a tip for you. For your future <laughs> relations with women, since you don't have sisters. <laughs> hey, hey, I, uh, I, I appreciate that. But, but let's look at uh, the top, top three gifts. Uh, from the uh, the Pacers home court gift shop, I'll let you start. Okay, well, I really enjoy the fact that when the Pacers have a special night, and there are so many special nights, you've got the Hickory Nights this season, the Decade Games as well, and we even saw uh, the Bicentennial shirts, the 200th birthday for the state of Indiana, the special shooting shirts. And each of the time the Pacers wear one of those shooting shirts, that exact shirt is available inside the home court gift shop. So I did purchase one of these uh, for a family member, and it was the 1960s decade shooting shirt. So currently, you can purchase the shooting shirts with the logos of the 60s and the 70s. They also have the the Bicentennial t-shirt as well with the cool logo of the state of Indiana. And I think you can get the Hickory shirts as well. So those shooting shirts have a nice texture to them. And you can honestly say this is the shooting shirt that the Pacers wore that in, that particular night. And so the next one you can have your eyes out for or keep an eye out for would be the 80s decade night shooting shirt. The Pacers play the Knicks on January 7th when they will celebrate the decade of the 80s. And so I think those are some some high-quality merchandise and certainly something that, while I've got a closet full of Pacers merchandise, I don't know that I need any more shirts. I always stop by there and just browse a little bit on my way to uh, Dunkin' Donuts, and I always say, oh, do I need to get this? Do I need to get this? And that's probably <laughs> the next thing that I'll purchase actually for myself. Those large windows are tempting. Uh, they they kind of <laughs> lure you in there. If, if you're around the office a lot, you often need a, a Dunkin' coffee break, which you've conveniently got to walk right through the home. It's been a challenge having a Dunkin' Donuts in the same building where I work. I will say that. Yeah. And then uh, to have that merchandise, uh, with a, well, I must say, with an employee discount at the uh, home court gift shop, it, it, it's another temptation that I sometimes succumb to. Chris Denary is is like the biggest Dunkin' Donuts fan in the world, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, he has a he has a VIP card, I think, to the location in Carmel <laughs> because he gets the donut holes for his dogs, and all he has to do is say Dunkin'. He doesn't even finish it, and they about you know bust through the door to try to get out to the car, and they, and they know him by basically as soon as he starts to mention through the drive-through, they. Oh, hey, Chris, how are you doing today? And he goes there in the morning and he goes there at night. Yeah, he's got the Connecticut sponsorship. But if Dunkin' Donuts wants to have a spokesman, I'm guessing he'll be first in line for that as well. 
Hey, if Dunkin' Donuts wants to sponsor the Sideline Guys podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm all uh, for it. I, I could be bought. So if someone likes what they hear from <laughs> us, we can take some breaks and get some reads in, just like uh, Bill Simmons and, and Cousin Sal. Yeah, yeah. There's a little free plug, and, and from any moron, uh, let's see if we can get a sponsor. <laughs> <from them>. uh, <laughs> Pat and yeah, I we, did we not get free coffee for the most recent mention. No, 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 no. We we are paying customers. Um you know, we talked about this off air, and I think I'm going to switch my pick because your shooting shirt brought up a thought in my head, which is uh, the bottom half of that, which are the the shooting pants. And so what they've done is I bought last year's version, and this year's version is slightly different. Uh, the look is just a little bit different. They basically tweaked it. So it's the same thing. It just looks slightly different. Basically, the uh, the shooting pants, that the, the, the warm-up pants that the players wear, they've turned those into uh, sweatpants for the consumer because you, you, those are more practical for those of us who don't warm up for 82 regular season games a year. And I'm telling you, I bought these things last year, and I can't remember the price, but whatever it is, it's totally worth it. They're the most comfy things I own and, and they're, they're just essentially sweatpants that look like the, the warm-up pants and they've uh, they're, they're kind of bunched those that style where it's kind of bunched at the bottom and I, I wear those things when I'm when I'm not in the office or at a game and covering a game uh, I wear those things constantly sometimes I wear them on, on the road because in the radio studio like I don't have to be dressed up at all I, we're on Indianapolis on the circle you know um, for road games so I can wear whatever I so want. So you're not in a full suit on the road games? <laughs> no, no. I, although, see, I kind of now that I said that, I kind of like the thought that other people might think that I was. So maybe <laughs> I'm disappointed that I mentioned that. All right. Well, <laughs> but no, these 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 uh these sweatpants. They're cool. They're comfortable. And even if it's not Christmas shopping, I highly recommend them because uh, they are fantastic. All right, pick three. I'll, I'll let you do this, but I know we talked about it, and it's a fairly new item that that uh, is out for Pacers fans, uh, but but something that's really cool through Paul George. I think it's fitting in the pick three, and those that, when we just started the podcast, we came up with the pick three, steals a little bit from my interest in horse racing. And you can't always just go one by one by one. The chances of you winning that pick three are going to be difficult, so you have to spread a little bit. So I gave you four shooting shirts as a possibility in the first leg of the pick three. Uh, you've got just the, the pants, so we'll single the second leg. We've got a, we, we think those warm-up pants are, are, are a big favorite for leg number two, but we're going to spread by, I think, uh, eight. So we'll hit the all button in the final leg of the pick three, and it's all of the Paul George New Era caps. Uh, I've got a, quite a few hats. My son's into hats as well. And these are not just normal hats. They're over to the the one side. There basically is a Paul George section of the New Era hats inside the Home Court gift shop. And each one of them is is made just a little bit different than the other. You've got the snapbacks. You've got some fitted hats. You've even got sock hats as well. But a couple of really cool ones. The Fresno State Bulldog one is really awesome. And I also like the Pinstripe Pacer one. They've got a Hickory model as well. Paul George has been working on this, and I think the first time we saw these hats were actually during the Olympics when he had the the Pacer logo with the American flag, and as soon as everyone saw him wear that during the Olympics, I know people wanted, where can I find that? Where can I get one of those? And it was all, they were basically in production, I think, at that point, and Paul had a few of them, and obviously the one he was wearing, but they were not available to purchase until December. Well, they're all available now. They came out, I think, a couple of weeks prior to Christmas, and I mean, these are some high-quality hats, and I, 
I actually meant to and I have not yet, but at some point if I see Paul here at the hotel or even at the, in the locker room or in the hallway, I'm going to tell him what a great job that he and New Era did because those are those are awesome hats and depending on which one you like, that's my that's my recommendation for your day after or your week after Christmas shopping at the Pacers Home Court gift shop. You should see if Paul George and the New Era Hat Collection want to sponsor the Sideline Guys podcast. Great point. Yeah, I, I think that I probably will just compliment Paul, and I'll need to get his business uh, partners' uh, numbers or emails. But yeah, I think well, we just need a we need a few more podcasts in, and then I think we need to get with our agents and have them put sort of some best of clips together before we can really uh, find some sponsors. So I'm looking forward to it. I I could talk to you every day if we want to go daily podcast. I'm all for it. Hey, it works for me. It works for me. And I, I think there's a theme here. I trying to sell something. Um, <laughs> all right, let's. Uh, where this is, uh, we are officially taping this, and it will be out on Wednesday afternoon. So we're talking about a game uh, from our standpoint against Washington. That is tonight. Uh, Let's wrap this up. I want to talk about Washington. I want to talk about then Chicago coming up on Friday back at home. The Pacers, again, their their games against the Bulls, this happened earlier in the year too. They played like twice in a week or something like that, and they're going to do it again here with Chicago. But certainly uh, don't want to make this podcast too outdated. So let's let's take a quick peek at Washington, look forward to Chicago here. Uh, But uh, mention that three-point game out there against the Wizards. The Pacers... Uh, could really afford to find that three-point shot again. And Washington, a team who started slowly, but they've picked it up here as of late. And they're one of those bunch of teams that is right around Indiana. In fact, they're they're tied in the standings. They've played two less games. So they're 14 and 16. The Pacers are 15 and 17, which is a virtual tie. But uh, as you talked about earlier in the show, these are games that you're going to look back when you're at the end of the season, and whether it's tiebreakers or positioning for teams around you it's these games right now that are happening earlier in the year when you're maybe not looking quite as closely at the standings that have a pretty significant impact the Pacers have won three straight games at the Verizon Center and Washington though is a team that feels a lot better about themselves than they did in November they've won seven of their last 10 games when healthy they are as explosive an offensive team as we see in the Eastern Conference. And one thing that they've always had is John Wall and Bradley Beal when Bradley Beal has been healthy. But Otto Porter has really played well over the last couple of weeks. And if he can be consistent and live up to where he was drafted and what many Wizards fans thought he could be, uh, Washington's a scary team. That said, they struggle defensively. And I think when they hired Scott Brooks, they thought they would be much better defensively than they currently are. So this could be a high-scoring game. I think the Pacers, after really a low-scoring game, just 61 points through three quarters, and then uh, you know more in the fourth, but a low-scoring game against the Bulls, I think the Pacers are due to have a much better offensive game. The key in this one is who can get the stops when needed, and and the Pacers have to make sure they can contain Wall and Beal and not let somebody like Otto Porter have a really good night. But this is an important, important game and really weak for the Pacers. I, I just think that you've won some, you've lost some, you've yet to have that real sense of desperation when facing adversity. Well, I think that this is probably the first time this season that you could say the Pacers are in that position because 15 and 17, 32 games. So if you can do the math, 50 games remain. So you have plenty of time. But the schedule will get pretty difficult, and, and the guys can't look, and at this point you can't say, oh, well, the schedule's easy, you're going to win, and the schedule's hard, and, it's, and you're going to lose, because the Pacers have shown you know, they can lose to anyone, and they can beat 
virtually anyone. And the five teams that currently are, you know, basically the five worst teams in the in the NBA, the three, 13 through 15 in the East and 14 and 15 in the West, the Pacers have losses to them. And so I think that there's a feeling that the Pacers need to make up some of those losses. And on a road trip where you're going to Chicago and you're going to the Verizon Center, it's realistic to say you'd win one, you'd, you'd lose one. Well, you lost to Chicago. You need to win this game, and you need to finish 2016 strong with a win against the Bulls. And if you can do that, then you're back to 500, and then you're in a position where in the first couple weeks of January, maybe you can go on a little bit of a run. I talked with Aaron Brooks after practice on Tuesday, and he even referenced the team knows. They understand these games are all against teams with similar records. And he said something that caught me off guard a little bit. He said, We'll be fine if we can just go on a nice little win streak, win five in a row. And I thought, well, let's think about three in a row at first. But that's kind of what it's going to take for this team to get out of this little six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve placing in the Eastern Conference and create some separation. And there's no time like the present to get on a little bit of a run and to start feeling better about themselves. Yeah, I think two things that stick out to me the most, if you ask themes, are the Pacers have struggled to rebound. In bigger picture, um, they've really struggled on the road. You know, they're 11 and five at home. I think anybody at the beginning of the season, even those who were predicting the Pacers to be into the 50s in the win column, you take 11 and five at home. The Pacers have done their job at home. It's just they've really struggled on the road. Four and 12 is their road record. Um, you look at the Heat, who are 10 and 22. They're five and 10 on the road. They've got a better road record. The Magic, who are below the Pacers, have a better road record. That differential has been so great, and the only team that has done something similar is the Wizards, who they play tonight. The Wizards are 11-6 and six at home, and they're 3-10 and 10 on the road. So the Pacers and Wizards, there's a lot of similarities there in that they're playing like a playoff team, maybe even a, a first-round home series team at home, and then on the road they're playing like a team who's going to miss the playoffs. So I think the, Washington's probably talking similar keys. Um, but it's it's getting that road level closer to the home level as opposed to the inverse of that here as the season continues uh, because the Pacers you know they they're, they're not going to be able to probably make the playoffs if they have three times as many losses as wins on the road but if they can get that road record playing more like home record um, you know it doesn't need to be 11 and five just something closer to 500 I think they're going to be happy where they end up they play the Bulls again on Friday and talked about the rebounding a moment ago Chicago does it really well Indiana has struggled this season and a theme when the Pacers have had those kind of games against teams that rebound really well. They don't need to win the rebounding battle. They just need to keep it close enough to where they can win other parts of the games and make up for it. And I think that's always a key when you play a team like Chicago. Yeah, Nate McMillan said before that game, they're the top rebounding team in the NBA. We have to gang rebound. You have to keep them off the glass. And there were a few possessions that were particularly troublesome. One that's (laughs) made the rounds on Twitter and on Vine where Rajon Rondo had three rebounds. And I think that'll be one that's brought back up again, maybe before this game against the Wizards, but also prior to Friday. You've got to keep an eye on Rondo. For all the credit he gets for his assists, he crashes the glass as well as, as any point guard, especially in the NBA. And sometimes maybe... Teams don't even like their point guards to crash 
the glass for offensive rebounds because they're not getting back on defense. But if he gets them, it provides a real boost to that team. Looking at these two games and really the next week, I look for Paul George to really uh, step up. He The last three games, he's averaging 16.3 per game. And when Paul scores 25 points, the Pacers are 7-1 and one in those games this season. And I just feel like... You know, he expressed some frustration with the officiating. We did not really get into all that because we don't know what's going to happen and what the reaction might be and, you know, if there's fines or what will happen from Nate McMillan's comments as well. But I think that there there will be a lot of attention on Paul tonight against the Wizards, against the Bulls, and really over the next week or so. And I think that he is in a position where he knows it's important to carry this team. He's trying to get everybody involved, and he, he made some great passes and some nice assists against Chicago, but I look for some big scoring games out of Paul George, and I look for him to really, um, with everyone kind of having their eye on him and wondering how he will react to some of the things that he said, uh, I look for him to have a big game and uh, a big week. And looking forward, fans, there's there's plenty of chances to catch the Pacers here coming up. They, as we mentioned, have that game against Chicago on Friday. Uh, and then to start the new year, the 1st, the 5th, and the 7th, they play home games, Orlando, Brooklyn, and Knicks. So I know a lot of people, uh, I've got two younger brothers. One of them is in college. For a couple of years, they were both in college. They'd always come up and then uh, want tickets for those games. But I know these are games that usually sell well because people are around for the holidays. And uh, so make sure to jump on those, pacers.com slash tickets. There's a lot of odd start times uh, that I wanted to bring up. Friday, December 30th, that game against Chicago is a 4 o'clock Eastern tip. So note the earlier tip there. Sunday on New Year's Day is a 6 o'clock tip. So note the new tip uh, time there as well. And Jeremiah on the TV side, myself on the radio side, we begin always a half hour uh, before those tip times that you're seeing. You've, of course, got the game, and, and we'll get into this more on another podcast, but out in London against the Nuggets. That's three local. And then on Monday, January the 16th, uh, a four o'clock local game. So a lot of uh, weird start times coming up for the Pacers. Make sure to note those. But against Washington tonight, uh, a seven o'clock tip, 630 on Fox Sports Indiana, if you're listening to this before the game, of course, and along the Pacers uh, radio network as well. 93.5, 1070 locally here in Indianapolis. Uh, JJ, appreciate your time out in D.C. Any final thoughts from you? No, uh, just let the Pacers fans know we actually tried to give you a pre-Christmas podcast. We had some technical difficulties, so it's still our goal to provide you a good 45 minutes or so of Pacers discussion uh, at least once per week, and we're trying to shoot for Tuesdays, Mondays, Tuesdays, or Wednesdays, Tuesdays being the optimum time um, to give you some you know, insider perspective, and we do appreciate. I've had some people in the hallways in different places uh uh, give us some shout outs and say they enjoy the podcast and that makes us feel good you know Pat because it's not our primary job and we spend a lot of our time focusing on the game <laughs> nights but it's good to to know some fans are into the podcast and and we'll keep it up and you've asked for sponsorship so if you're a business owner and you like the podcast <laughs> um, I'm sure you'll take their phone call you know, we, we've got some time to figure this out, but you know I'm going to be bothering you to do one from London, and I don't totally know how we make that work because uh, right now we use a phone call, and uh, that I, might be I think my phone, but... I think my phone's going to be set for international calling that week, so we should be good. Ah, all right, there we go. Well, we will talk to you before then, of course. But tonight, if you're listening on Wednesday when this is released, Pacers at Washington. Fox Sports Indiana, Jeremiah Johnson starts you at 6.30. If you're in your car at 6.30 as well, uh, you can catch us on the radio on the Bankers Life Radio Network beginning at 6.30. Friday, they're back home against the Bulls. Pacers.com slash tickets is how you can be in the Fieldhouse in downtown Indianapolis. I'm Pat Boylan, D.C. He's Jeremiah Johnson. J.J., thanks for your time, and uh, have a good broadcast tonight.
and Happy New Year, Pacers fans.